shorter and shorter. Uh, and they race by. And sometimes we can get caught up in all of the busyness, you know, or we can get caught up sometimes not just in busyness. We can get caught up in the, the opposite end. So sometimes we're too busy, and then sometimes at the other end of the scale, we're, we're just life, everything's too mundane. So sometimes we're, we're way too switched on and way too stressed out, and sometimes we're, our whole life is sort of a vacuum of meaningful activity. But either way, we can miss whole moments, I think. We can miss opportunities because we're living without real expectation or without real purpose. Uh, and I reckon, you know, when we come to church on a Sunday, let's make the decision to come with an expectation, you know, an expectation that God is going to move, an expectation that God's going to speak to us, an expectation that we can worship and meet with God in a new way, an expectation that we'd be a blessing to somebody else, an expectation that someone else will be a blessing to us. We should, we should live our life with that sort of expectation, shouldn't we? You know, one of the things, we, one of the things we've been talking about um, for the last couple of months is just thinking about who are 10 people that you could be praying for. Maybe, maybe I, I always think about maybe five friends and five family members who maybe they're close to you, but they're far away from Jesus, who you could begin praying for. And it's just been cool just hearing little testimonies coming through. You know, oh, so-and-so was at youth, you know, and they were, one of my 10 people turned up at youth. One of the people I've been praying for showed up. And uh, Luca was saying last night, he, one of the guys he's been praying for, he invited him along to the uprising when we were in Porirua. So that's uh, maybe six weeks ago. And, uh, oh, come along, it's in Parua. And then just last Thursday, he gets a text back from this guy. Oh, is that you thing on tonight? And it happened to be Thursday night, and so there was definitely something happening in Parua. Luca was hoping to have a quiet evening at home resting. Uh, instead, he said, yes, it is. Yeah, I'll see you there. He has to race the bus, train, get out to Parua to meet his friend. But, but that's because there's expectation, because there's prayer, you know. And I think we could miss, we could miss out on a lot of life just by not expecting it could all be happening just all around you, but you don't even get to notice it because you're not actually engaged. You're not actually connected with what's happening. Amen? That's an encouragement to you. So anyway, we better get on with this sermon because uh, if we don't start, you don't finish. If we don't finish, we won't get lunch and that'll be a bad day, wouldn't it? Uh, anyway, if you have your Bible, we're going to read from John chapter 15 and uh, Maddie's going to put it up on the screen at the back as well. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's okay. You can read with us still. And... Um, we're reading about eight verses of this, and, uh, you know, Pastor Steve began this series for us last week, and uh, we, I'm carrying on this week. Jono's preaching next week, uh, and then we've got Pastor Steve again. So we've got it's like a Steve sandwich. It's awesome. It's because uh, we invited him to Wellington for the end of the month, and Pastor Boone invited him to Lower Hut for the start of the month, and it's a tricky way of getting uh, two for the price of one. Uh, anyhow, so we'll throw that up on the screen. We're ready. If it doesn't appear, just listen. It says this. John chapter 15, verse 1 says, I am the vine. So this is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, uh, which is quite a cool thought. It's, it's actually just in that little bit, there's a whole sermon, because if he's the true vine, it means that there are other vines. There are other untrue vines, uh, or there are dishonest vines, or there are unreliable vines, or there are imaginary vines. But Jesus says that he is the true vine. He says about his father, his father is the gardener. Other translations say he's the vine dresser. He says here, he cuts off every branch in me that's in Jesus that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes uh, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Alistair right, yeah, was sharing this 
in the prayer meeting this morning, and that's just an awesome little thought. You know, Jesus does say some pretty amazing things in Scripture, right? There's some pretty awesome truth, and I reckon that's an amazing thing. If we could get a revelation of the fact that we are already clean because of what Jesus did, and that actually what we do isn't about whether we're clean or not, because we're clean because of Jesus, what we do is actually what we're talking about. What we do has an impact on whether we bear fruit or not. But we can actually come this morning, we can come to church and connect because we're clean, because of what Jesus has already done, the word he's spoken, right? He goes on, verse 4, he says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Now, that's sort of true, isn't it, if you think about how a tree works. Uh, It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do, what does it say? You can do, what can we do outside of our connection with Jesus? We can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, if we're separated from Jesus, we can do nothing. We become ineffective. We become in in anything, really. Anyway, verse, verse 6 says, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If, though, you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So we're continuing in this series, and, um, and the title of this morning's uh, message is, is Come and Stay. Uh, come and stay. Everyone say, come and stay. Turn to the person next to you and say, come and stay. And then someone said that to you, say, awesome, I'll come. Uh, I'll stay at your house, right? Yeah, if, you were, if you were needed a place to stay, you just got one, right? Uh, in, in life, lots of things come and go. Lots of things come and go. In, 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 in life, seasons come and go. Uh, hairstyles come and go. How many people know their hair? Some hairstyles can't come and then they should go, uh, and they should go soon. How many people know that there are those hairstyles, right? They should go soon. Yeah, <laughs> Super's pointing his head, and it, hair itself comes and, and goes. Uh, <laughs> the reality is, you know, things come and go, and we're actually used to things coming, and we're used to things going. We're used to new ideas, and we're used to them disappearing. We, you know, words come and go. You know, the thing about hairstyles, though, that's interesting, is that they come and then they go and then they come back. Uh, have you noticed that? <laughs> you know, it was funny. A few years ago, we were wanting to buy a shirt for Chrissy's dad for Christmas. You know, how many of you know buying presents for dads is the most difficult thing, right? It's the most difficult thing. So we're buying a, a shirt for Chrissy's dad, and we were in a menswear shop of some description, and we're looking at all the shirts, right? And it was a few years ago. It might like maybe as many as eight years ago, right, or nine years ago. And we're looking at all the shirts, and there was not a single shirt that we could buy him. Because Chrissy's dad is, well, he's 70 now. Uh, he was in his mid-60s, early 60s then. And we're looking at all these shirts. There wasn't a single shirt that we could buy, because all of the shirts that were currently for sale would look like he'd owned them for 30 years. As soon as he put it on, it would look like there's an old guy in his old shirt, right? It was a brand new shirt, but it had come back, and it was all the timing was wrong. And an old person couldn't wear it because it'd be like, man, why doesn't that guy get some new clothes? Right? And that's what life's like. We're used to things coming, and we're used to them going, and we're used to things coming back around and going on again and coming around again, right? And things, you know, they come and go like the song. Come on, come on. Anyone? Come on. 
come clean. It'll come back. You watch it. It'll come back. It's probably already come back twice. You know, words, words are the funny thing. Words come and go. Words come and go. And, and you have to know what words have come uh, and so that you're using the right words. And you have to know when they've gone so that it's time to stop using those. Right? So how many people in the, were alive in the 1980s? A conscious in the 1980s, you're a teenager at least. Uh, and uh, so, so the 1980s, we, we used to say choice a lot. We used to say it's choice. And we used to say rad, but not as a joke. We actually, we said rad. Now when someone says rad, it's Pete Thompson. And he says it as a joke, right? Because Pete's got this ability to know what words haven't come back yet. And he's driving them back into, con- into the culture, right? Um, uh, we used to say choice, we used to say rad. We used to say gnarly. Oh, so gnarly. But, we, but now when someone says that, we used to say grouse, which is another one of Pete Thompson's current words. We used to say righteous. Oh, right, totally righteous. Um, well, there was ones from the 90s. This might be a bit easier for you. We used to say dope. As dope, dude, we used to say dude. That's the holds on, dude holds on, because it's just a useful word. We used to say fly. What on earth? What on earth does that even mean? It meant nothing, right? And we used to spell, we used to say dog, D A W G, dog, cha ching. How many used to people used to say cha ching? How many people, if you we could capture, if we could go through all of your digital archives, we might catch a video of you saying cha ching, right? Which is, if you think about it, is the dumbest thing you could possibly say, really. Cha ching, that was grass, man. Totally choice. Um, we said, my bad, OMG. How many people know OMG? Pastor Sam was telling me, OMG, he's done a bit of research. I don't know why you do research on this. It's actually a 1990s expression, uh, but it's come back. Uh, it's actually in its second iteration of usage, OMG. Uh, we used to say, speak to the hand, because the face ain't listening. Which, if you think about it, I think that's one of the best things ever. I, that's actually, that's not just a saying, that's a whole way of life. That's an attitude you can really, you know, speak to the hand because the face ain't listening. Uh, yeah, it's like, there's something about that that's more than just a word, it's more than just a saying. It's a whole personality. Um, we used to, and we used to say whatever, or oh, whatever. And you, whatever was awesome because it could be, it could just mean anything. You could insult someone with whatever. You could just t- help someone relax with whatever. Uh, you could dismiss someone with whatever. Um, and it's just, you know, not great in an email, that's all. But, you know, we know that nothing is here to stay. And we're actually used to the idea that nothing's here to stay. Things go around and come around and they go backwards and forwards. And, you know, the funniest thing, being a school teacher, one of the things I loved about being a school teacher was crazes. So I used to teach mainly like year seven and eights, which are and these are these are some of the most these are some of the most complete humans. Uh, nine, ten, eleven, twelve year olds. They're awesome. They're awesome. They're like they're like small men and small women. Uh, you know, I, I love watching my son Elliot play rugby. He's under ten, but even at under ten, it's still rugby. There's swearing and punching. Uh, you know what I mean? And, oh, ref! You know, it's all, it's all there, like these little people, little bodies with big attitudes. And that's what I loved about teaching. And, and these crazes would take over. Like, they, they, you know, just it'd be a normal day and someone would turn up with something ridiculous, something outlandish, a, steel, a stainless steel ring with bolts on it, with nuts on it. Someone turns up with, someone turns up with a piece, literally a piece of rubbish, right? A piece of rubbish that's been imported from China. It's a stainless steel ring with nuts, just loose nuts on it, right? And within, within three days, every 11-year-old in New Zealand 
not only owns one, but can do a random selection of crazy tricks with it. And they're spinning them on their feet, and it's on the it, it's on the TV. You know what I mean? Like this this craze among eleven olds, and suddenly someone's doing it in a TV talent show. Welcome to New Zealand. New Zealand's got talent. Someone with three chatterings. It was awesome. And then and then suddenly someone picks up a ball and starts playing Foursquare. And the chatterings disappear. Everything else stops. Education stops and Foursquare becomes the focus of everyone's attention. I love it. I love those crazes where things take over. But not just crazes and fads and fashions, but there's also phases in life. You know, we go through phases. How many people are pleased that you're not a teenager anymore? It's nice to feel happy about yourself. Uh, isn't it? It's nice not to always be, you know, you know paralyzed by insecurity, you know, because we've come through that phase. I'm sure there are parents here who are happy they've got through that newborn phase, and parents here who don't even believe that's possible, right? But you actually come through that phase. For us, we were so excited. My Probably my favorite phrase, phase to say goodbye to was nappies. You know, I was just, they were uncomfortable. And, no, <laughs> no, changing nappies, you know, as, as fun as changing nappies is, as rewarding as that smell is, and, you know, the, to see that phase goodbye. You know, the, we were talking the other day, I was talking to uh, Pete and McKinnon, and Chrissy and I were chatting on the way home from the 21st, and it was just, oh, you know, imagine being 21 again, and Chrissy and I were both like, Ugh. Imagine having to go through that whole journey again, because it is a journey, and you go through a phase, and things come and things uh, go, you know, right? You know, some of you have got friends and family who are looking forward to the end of your church phase. <laughs> I love what Esther said, you know, Esther Elliott was preaching a couple of weeks ago, and she said her fiancé, Ben, is the only Christian in his family, and they're all the whole extended family just can't wait for his religious phase to disappear, you know, well, I'm thankful that following Jesus isn't a phase, but actually Jesus is with me through the seasons of life, that I can actually connect with Jesus, not just as a teenager like I did, but also as a young adult, and now as a father, and now I'm you know, turning 40 next year, but actually Jesus is just as real in all of those spaces of life, and I can keep connected with Him. You know, Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ though, is the same yesterday today and forever. You know, the psalmist says in the message version that, Jesus, that God never goes out of date. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will never pass away. The reality is of all the things that come and go, Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't come and go. Jesus remains. He's actually one of the solid points, if not the solid fixed point in the universe. Now, this might get a bit personal for people, so just don't put your hand up by accident when I ask you these questions, but um, one of the features of modern life is an is a, um, interesting phobia, and as I've said before, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but I seem to know too many psychologists, but um, there's, there's a, like a, one of the, the aspects of modern life is, is commit-a-phobia, uh, which, is, which is a fear of committing. Uh, uh, you know, and, and, and even even uh, when when people say yes, they're coming to your birthday party on Facebook. Don't set out the number of plates of the people who say yes, they're coming, right? Because people aren't committing to be there; they're just encouraging you in your invitation. Uh, the um, pe- people people in the modern age, because by the time you're twenty, I guess you've had enough disappointments or setbacks, or enough things have been a bit upsetting, or frustrating, or difficult, that you get to the point where you're a little bit shy of committing. You're a little bit hesitant 
to put your heart out there, say what you really think. Uh, how many people have ever had a job exit interview? I can remember the first job I had where they did exit interviews. I told them exactly what I thought. Uh, and then a few months later, I wanted to get a job back again, and I wasn't able to get a job back again. <laughs> right? I was like, oh, okay. I remember thinking to myself, okay, next time they have an exit interview and they say, oh, we really want to get some honest feedback of how you felt the company went, I'll just say, it was good, thanks. <laughs> uh, you know, because you have enough of that, and, you, and, and there's this, there's this hesitance, sort of this, this just reluctance to press the button. You know, like, have you, you know, have you ever bought stuff online? Like I bought some shoes online, but the thing about buying shoes online, if you're me, is that uh, my left foot is slightly larger than my right foot, and so some shoes fit really nice. You know, I have to, and I never can remember which one is which, so I always have to try on both shoes. And they go, oh, yeah, that's the big foot. Uh, do you know what I mean? Uh, maybe your life's not as complicated as mine, but we all have things we have to deal with, don't we? Uh, the reality is that, you know, when you, when you buy stuff online, my, one of my things is I, I, sometimes I'm booking a flight online for a guest who's coming or if I'm traveling somewhere, and, and, you, and I do everything in a hurry. You might have noticed I do everything in a hurry. Uh, and so flying in on this date, flying out on that date. And there's at least two occasions where I booked flights to and from Auckland and I've got to the airport in Wellington to get on the plane at the time there's a plane leaving Auckland to come to Wellington. And then I look at the ticket really carefully and I've booked it completely in reverse. So instead of buying a return ticket from Wellington to Auckland return, I bought a uh, Auckland to Wellington return ticket. Uh, you feel it ringing up Auckland and say, hey, if anyone wants a free trip to Wellington, uh, just pretend you're Jordan. Uh, you know, but when you, all you, you know, just before you click the button, you're like, oh, now I'm like, you know, just before you click, okay, proceed. And there's like three or four steps because they're, they're trying to make it easier for people like me. I'm always looking, oh, okay, it's going that way. You know, I live in Wellington. It's going to Auckland. And it goes from Auckland to Wellington. I'm checking the time. I'm checking the date. Um, actually, the other day I got to Auckland for a meeting and there's no one else was there. Someone else had booked those flights for me. The meeting got changed, but the flights didn't. So I had a wonderful day just in the Cory Lounge. Uh, but we have this reluctance to commit. But, and, and our reluctance to commit leads us to a life of frustration. Because you don't commit, so you don't get any fruit from things. So you, you're frustrated in your life. One of the frustrations in your life, one of the, one of the, the agonies in your life is that you, you're not living the life you want to live because you're not making the decisions you need to make to live the life that you want to live. Uh, and, and that's human nature. You don't, you're not special because you're doing that. It's just how it works. Uh, and until we learn to, to make connection, we're always going to live a frustration of barrenness. Now, in our key scripture here, uh, Jesus says this thing. Right side, he says, I am the true vine, which is, you know, if you think about it as a public address, it's a strange way to start. I am the true vine, right? It, it sort of stands out. Uh, it, it, it sort of fits into a bigger context, though, through the book of John. If you know the book of John, it's, it's a really clever piece of writing, a really, really clever piece of writing. It's got seven key teachings, seven important miracles, and it's got seven I am statements, Seven times in the book of John, uh, Jesus says, I am. He says, I am this and I am that. He doesn't say, I am this and I am that. He says things. All right, so in, in John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. 
So what's he doing? He's defining who he is, and he's defining how we can relate with him. Uh, that Jesus taught in paradigms, and so he didn't just say stuff uh, like, like a science teacher writing stuff on the board. He created these paradigm-shifting pictures and stories and statements like this. I am the bread of life. And he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood. Now, what is he trying to do? He's not, just, he's not advocating cannibalism, right? He's, what he's doing is he's trying to shift that paradigm and un- for us to understand he really wants us to connect with him, that who he is is what sustains us. Do you get that? I am the bread of life. He's, he's not actually like a loaf of bread. He is, he's the stuff of life. He's the sustaining parallel. He's the source of life. I'm the bread of life. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Now, you don't see anything. You just see light. Did you know that? You can't see the stage. You just see light reflecting from the stage. You can't, you, your eyes don't see anything. All they do is anything other than light. They just read light patterns. And then we call that seeing something. So gee, what Jesus is saying when he says he is the light of the world, he's saying he is the way you see anything. He is the way you perceive anything. He's the way you understand anything. Right? In John 10, he says, I am the gate to the sheepfold. Jesus is the way into the safe space. He's the way into salvation. He says he's the good shepherd. So he's not just the gate the way into the sheepfold, he goes out finding sheep. Well, that's cool, isn't it? I'm I'm really grateful that Jesus is the good shepherd. He's not just the gate. Because if he's just the gate, none of us are going to find our way. Some of you are like, oh, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't find your way anywhere, right? GPS, Google, sheepfold. No, he's the shepherd. He finds us and he brings us into salvation. He brings us into safe space. I'm enjoying these I am statements. John 11 He says, I am the resurrection. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 15, he says, I am the true vine. It's actually interesting. There's six statements that are invitations to come and partake. I'm the bread of life. I am light. Come and see. Come and eat. Come and be refreshed. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the shepherd. These are all statements of invitation. Come to me and relate with me, and receive from me, right? And then this last statement, Jesus says, I am the true vine, which is a slightly different invitation. We don't just come and believe in the vine. We don't just come and receive from the vine. We come and connect to the vine. We find our source in the vine. In Matthew 11, Jesus makes another invitation statement. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, uh, Matty's going to throw it on the screen. He says this, he says, um, it's actually an interesting context. It's a big feast, massive celebration, massive event. And on the last day of the big feast, Jesus stands up and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, right? This is a pretty familiar passage. I like it in the message. Maddie's going to change the message, and he says, Like this, this is Eugene Peterson imagines it like this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. I learn, sorry, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Don't you reckon that's cool? I reckon it's a pretty cool passage of the Bible, right? You'll learn to live freely and lightly. This, again, is Jesus, this life giver. He's saying, come to me if you're weary, if you're, if you're burdened, if you're weighed down, if you're burned out religion, if you're, if you're heavy, and I'll give you rest. You'll find, I like that, you'll find rest for your souls, right? Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I'll teach you how to take a real rest, Jesus says. How many could do with a rest? You know, I've just had a hot two weeks holiday. I mean, I could do with a rest. <laughs> I was just talking to um, I was just talking to Sam. They've had a three weeks holiday, and then once you've had a day at work, how many people know? Oh, that holiday magic sort of fades quicker than you thought, quicker than the suntan. You know, the the relaxed disappears. You know, I've been on holidays where. Just before the holiday, oh, man, I really need a break, you know. I've been working hard or stressed out or whatever, right? And you go on a holiday, you know, two weeks away or a week away, and you come back and you're feeling how you're feeling. You're feeling awesome, right? Because you've been on holiday. Yeah, and you feel awesome until the, until the alarm goes off. And almost as soon as the routine starts again, well, maybe it takes a couple of days, but, but sometimes it doesn't take any, any more than an instant. As soon as the routine starts again, suddenly you feel the same heaviness, you feel the same weariness, you feel the same pressure, because what you needed wasn't just a holiday, you needed a rest. You needed not just to have a rest, you needed to find rest for your soul. You can go on holiday for all year long without finding rest for your soul. You, you, can, you can lie beside the pool in Fiji, you know, with a, drinking, drinking out of a coconut. Like that, you have to do it. It spills everywhere. It's a nightmare, right? But you can lie there all year long but not find any rest for your soul. You can still be in turmoil. You can still be, you still be carrying burdens. You can, still be, you can still be tense. You can still be distant. You can still be uh, disaffected. You can still be out of shape. You can still be out of line in your spirit. And I think we've got to realize the fact that Jesus is calling us into something that oftentimes we don't really appreciate how awesome it is. You can find rest for your soul, your mind, rest for your emotions, rest for your internal world. Things can come back to life, come back into line. That's what he's offering us. That's what he's calling us into. Don't you reckon that's something worth getting a hold of? You know, that's what he's calling us to. I like it. He stands up, Jesus stands up on the last day of the feast. Big festival. Now, we, we do big events in, in Equippers. We have Shout Conference at the Summer Revolution. and we've got, We do Equip Her. Uh, we do Man Up. Do you know Equip Her and Man Up next year in 2016? They're going to be in Wellington. So that's going to be awesome, isn't it? So the, the Equip Her will be in Wellington, which is going to be awesome because be, we can get people there more easily, right? Uh, there's going to be Equip Her in Wellington, and uh, there'll be a Man Up in Wellington as well, which is going to be awesome, right? And they're big events sometimes. You know, they're big events. You know, Shout Conference is three or 4,000 people in a big stadium. That's a big event. But nothing like the Feast of Tabernacles where Jesus was at this big festival, right? They, in the, in the Bible, they were commanded to have these festivals where they would come to the temple. You know, all of the Psalms have a scent from like 
Uh, Psalm 120 to about 130, they're all these short psalms of praise, and they're all designed at this, this, this big festival, like a whole nation all coming together. They were commanded as a whole nation to come together, sleep out in the open and party, just have a good time for seven days. Isn't that awesome? And Jesus stands up at the end of that festival and says, come to me. All you who labor, who are burned out on religion, right? Because there's something powerful about coming together, coming to something. Like I said right at the start, if we come together with an expectation for God to move, God will move. God can move in your life this morning in a way that you couldn't have imagined yesterday. Your life tomorrow can be totally different because of what He says to you today, what happens in your heart today, for the freedom that comes to your life today. It's happened to you before, hasn't it? Hasn't there been another time where you've come to a space and God's spoken powerfully and set you free in a moment? There's something powerful about coming together. There's an awesome story from Shout Conference of a just a, a pretty young, I don't know how old, I think a teenage girl from Masterton who was there with a broken leg or broken arm um, in the praise and worship. She just thought, I'm going to cut my cast off. I'm going to cut the cast off my arm, you know, which generally speaking is not a good idea, right? But she wisely didn't talk to anyone intelligent like me who would have said, oh, don't be stupid. She just cut the cast off and was praising God, and her arm felt perfectly fine. Went to the hospital on the Monday after shout conference. They did all the x-rays again, and there was no evidence of any fracture. They said, we can't even see where it was fractured. Why? Because she's miraculously healed. Why? In a moment. In a moment of expectation. Let's not forget the power of those moments of coming together with expectation. Every single Sunday? Yeah, come on, every Sunday. Why not? Why wouldn't we come? If we're going to come, if we're all going to be here, some of us are here at 5 a.m. If we're going to be here at 5 a.m. bashing legs into a stage, if we're going to do that, we might as well expect God to do something great. We might as well expect Jesus to come and refresh our souls. We might as well expect our heavy burdens to be lifted off, our sins to be removed. We might as well expect that. How many people reckon we might as well expect that? Amazing things can happen in a moment. God can change things in a moment. In an instant, He turns things around. He sets things in their proper places. You know, I love it. One of my favorite Psalms is that that God is enthroned in the praises of His people. And that's referencing this, this big festival of ascent where they all come together on the mount on the on mount zion up to the temple and when i was at when i was a kid we used to sing come and let us go up to the some people are smiling painfully because uh, i'm doing that because that's how they used to lead the singing you know all like this you didn't have to be able to sing back in the old back in the 80s at church, well, at my church, you didn't have to be able to sing to lead worship. You just had to be able to keep time. Uh, <laughs> my uncle used to do it like this. My uncle Steve used to do it like that. Because he, he, yeah, he had it on. He was like the young worship leader. He'd do it like that. And uh, it was a controversy because he wasn't doing it like this. Uh, anyway, come and let us go up to the Mount of the Lord. Come on. On a Sunday, let's go up to the Mount of the Lord. Let's have that in our heart. Let's have the song of ascent in our life. Even when you, if you don't feel like it, you know, on a Sunday morning, if you don't feel like going to church, don't worry. Someone else will feel like it. Someone else will be feeling it. The worship leader will be feeling it. You know, the band will be feeling it. Uh, you know, someone else around you will be feeling it. I don't feel like dancing. Well, someone will bump into you and you'll, you'll at least move a little bit. Uh, you know, there'll be something that rises in you. And if you're in a bunch of people with expectation, with faith and hope, it's going to be better off than sitting at home feeling miserable right? God's enthroned in the praises of His people. I love that He sits down in the praises. 
He's in authority in, his, in the praises of his people. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? God finds his authority. He, he sits into his authority in amongst our praises. The thing about in a big event, in a big festival, or a moment, or a Sunday, is God can change everything in a moment, but, but, but moments don't produce fruit. Shout Conference doesn't produce fruit. Revolution Tour doesn't produce fruit. Sunday doesn't produce fruit. Because Jesus says, I'm the true vine. If you remain in me, you bear fruit. Sunday is an awesome event where we come to him. But when we come to Jesus, what does he do? He removes our sin. He lifts our burden. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. We see things differently. We are sustained in our spirit. But producing fruit in our life, avoiding a meaningless life of frustration and disappointment, doesn't happen by turning up at church and going to the conference. It happens by abiding in Him, by connecting with Him. We've got to come to Him because you can't connect, you can't connect with Him without coming to Him. Because some people say, oh, there's no point going to the conferences. They don't produce fruit. Well, we know that. But how are you going to abide with someone that you don't come and connect with? We've got to abide to produce fruit. Fruit is revealed in a moment. Help people know fruit can be revealed in a moment. <laughs> if enough stuff goes wrong, you'll say something that proves to everyone around you just exactly where you're at. Right? And that's not you in a bad moment. You know, you know you in a bad moment? That's not you in a bad moment. That's you. That's what you look like without your clothes on, right? That's you. I can remember driving and something dangerous happened and I swore and my sister said, well, when you squeeze something, what's inside comes out. Big sisters, eh? Moments serve to connect us with the source of life. Jesus stood up in this, this moment and said, come connect with me. But moments connect us, but it is ongoing, real, lasting, growing, strong connection with the source of life. That produces fruit. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. This is an invitation not just to come and receive. He's the bread of life, come and receive. He's the light of the world, come and see. But he's the vine, come and bind in. Come and dig in. Come and hold on. Come and abide is what he's saying. He who abides will produce much fruit. If you don't abide with him, you produce nothing. It's a pretty emphatic statement. It's really easy for your life to add up to nothing. It's really easy. In fact, more people's lives add up to nothing than we realize. Abiding is what makes the difference. Abide is, to abide is to stay, is to remain, is to continue, it's to dwell. They're all slightly different words, eh? So stay, remain, continue, dwell. It's to continue in a particular attitude or position or continue in a particular relationship. It's to put up with. Maybe Jesus is putting up with us sometimes. We need, it's to also endure without yielding is also to abide. You know, sometimes we, sometimes we want fruit in our life, but we don't want to endure and we don't want to remain and we don't want to commit and we wonder why we end up frustrated. Do you know, you guys all did very well this morning coming to church. And God's going to transform our lives because we've come into His presence. And we're sustained by the bread of life, right? That's why we're refreshed in our souls, right? But you do better by abiding. 
It's so good to come, but it's also even better to abide. We've got to get rid of our theme song. Should I stay or should I go? Why? Why, why wouldn't we stay? Why wouldn't we connect? What is it about us? What makes it hard to abide? See, Jesus wouldn't say, abide in me and I'll abide in you, if it wasn't something we had to think about. Why don't we connect? Why don't, why don't we do it? Because you can't really outstay your welcome. And, and the, the problem is this. And I'll, the problem is shoes. It's shoes is the problem. Have you ever been to someone's house and you know the polite thing to do is to take off your shoes? The polite thing to do is take off your shoes. I have a friend, he was visiting a church and um, it's, it's one of my, uh, someone you know as well, so we'll just call him friend. Uh, he was visiting a church, this friend of ours, and, uh, and he was visiting the church and they got new carpet. The church had got new carpet. He was visiting and he'd, he'd been wandering around chatting with people. He's the sort of person who does that, wanders around chatting with people, around the foyer, around the auditorium, chatting with people. And then there's a woman in the church, a deaconess or somebody like that in the church, shouts out quite loudly, who walked dog it? You can add the shh at the front. Who walked the dog it into the church? You know, again, you know, when there's dog it on the floor, people talk about it, right? Now, it wasn't dog poo. It was dog it. Who walked the dog it on the floor? And this woman's going mad. New carpet. New carpet will bring out the response, right? Who bought, Who walked this in, right? And then she's marching around the building trying to find the offending shoes, right? She's turning kids upside down, throwing them, trying to find it. And then suddenly, our, my friend and yours realizes it's him who's walked it in. And there's a trail leading right to him. <laughs> so this woman's making her way, you know, she's, she's causing trouble. And so he has to hop <laughs> to the bathroom so as to throw her off the trail, throw her off the scent, as it were. And he spent a happy 20 minutes in the bathroom cleaning up his shoes, right? See, shoes are the problem. You can't enter in without taking your shoes off. When, you know, when you... If you if your sort of house with people take shoes off, we, we don't get people to take their shoes off at our house because I don't want you know we don't want people's socks getting dirty from the carpet. Uh, <laughs> but if someone comes to visit, and I've done this before, you go and visit someone's house and, and they, you know it's a shoes off type house, and you're like, oh you know, and they say, oh come in for a cup, and you're like, oh no, I'll just I'll just drop this off, you know, I'm, I'm not won't stay long, and then you have you end up having a long conversation at the doorway. Have you ever done that? And it's on and on and on. And what about in the whole long and rah, rah, rah. The conversation goes on and on. You do the whole business just in the doorway because you don't want to take your shoes off because you know your socks don't match. Because whose socks really match? Does anyone's socks match, you know? And, and you've got a toe poking out one, you know. It's like, oh, man. See, because your shoes identify you. Because your shoes carry a residue of where you've walked the spaces you used to be in, the places you used to be, the things you've stepped in are on your shoes. And until you take them off, you can't come in. So many Christians do their whole relationship with God just at the doorway. They've come to Jesus and they've had their sins forgiven. They've been refreshed. They know how to come to church and, and partake of the bread of the life and they come back and forward. But they haven't yet taken their shoes off, gone inside and sat down. His shoes are the problem. You know, Joshua, when he was leading the children of Israel from the desert into the promised land, he's walking around outside the city of Jericho, and he meets the, the Bible describes it as the commander of the armies of the Lord, which and it's most likely Jesus he's meeting, right? And he's this big soldier guy there, and 
Jesus, what does Jesus say to him? He says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Because he was walking in the promised land in his desert sandals. He's about to make this decision. They're going up against the city of Jericho, right? Now, when you walk around in the desert, you walk around in the desert, there's nobody else there. You come into the promised land and take on a city. Now you're making enemies. So Joshua is about to lead the children of Israel. He's about himself is about to go from the desert wilderness into the land of promise. And God says to him, take off your shoes because you can't bring the wilderness into the promised. And some of us are on the cusp or on the threshold of some amazing things in God. Some of the things we've hoped for, dreamed for, but it's going to require a bit of humility to say, I'm going to leave some of these things behind. I'm going to take off some attitudes. I'm going to take off some identities. I don't have to be that person. I need to be who God's called me to be so I can leave that. I, you know, you can always recognize someone's shoes. Even like a whole bunch of Chuck Taylors, you know the person, you know that person Chuck Taylors because their foot has shaped the shoe. Some of us, we've, we've, worn, this, we've worn the shoes so long, we, we don't even know what our feet look like. We don't know what we really like because we've worn this shoe. And we've got to take some of the dusty, worn-out ideas and put them aside. We've got to take some of our attitudes and put them aside. We've got to take our pride and put it aside. We've got to take our, you know, our self-importance and put it aside and actually enter into the promise that God has for us. Why, you know, Joshua is about to go to Jericho. And musicians, why don't you come now because we'll, we'll, we'll worship God once I finish talking. They're about, to go in, they're about to go past the point of no return. Jesus said, I am the true vine. See, sometimes we get it, we miss out on stuff in God. We miss out on real relationship with Jesus because we come to Jesus as the bread of life, but we stay connected to another vine. So we come to Jesus as the bread of life, but really it's our career that supports us. Or we come to Jesus as the bread of life, but it's really our cultural identity that we draw from. We come to Jesus as the light of the world, but we still really see things through the paradigms of our own hurts and our own insecurities. Maybe you can recognize it in your own life. I'm sure you can recognize it in other people's lives. But the reality this morning, the question I wanted to finish with this morning is simply this, is have you passed the point of no return? Because we could get quite theoretical about what does it mean to abide and, and to remain and to stay. But you won't remain with Jesus as long as you've got other options. As long as there's something else to fall back on, to find meaning in. As long as there's something else that's just as important. But as soon as you recognize that Jesus is divine, He's the source of life. Now the thing about a branch, your branch can reach anywhere. I've got so many friends who, who wanted to do something great in, 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 in music or the arts, or they wanted to do something great in business, or they want to have a great family and a great marriage, and they want to have great kids. See, the branches can reach anywhere. But what they tend to do is they just get it back to front. They think that the job is the vine, and so they connect to the job rather than connecting with Jesus, and then the overflow of who Jesus is helping them have the job that they want. Do you get it? 
it's a subtle difference, but we all do it from time to time. It's a temptation in life to see the thing we reach to as the goal, as the source rather than the goal. A great family is a, is a goal. It's not a source. A great marriage is a, is, a, is a goal. It's not a source. The source of a great marriage is a relationship with Jesus. The source of a powerful business is a relationship with Jesus. The source of good grades at university is a relationship with Jesus. The source of, of, of all those things comes from Jesus, and we can reach to them as long as we're connecting and abiding with Him. Can we, why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to pray. Just as the guys are, are playing, why don't you lift your hands, open up your heart to God. I want you to respond this morning because I'm certain that all of us can grow in this. All of us can connect in a better way or in a a deeper way, in a more powerful way with who Jesus is. All of us can connect with Him. So just lift your hands, open your heart to God. Let me pray. And then then Meg's going to lead us in a song. And then uh, Alice will be closing our service this morning. So Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you're here. Maybe for you right now, the Holy Spirit's pointing out some other vines you need to cut yourself off from. It's not really what I thought was the main point of the sermon, but but maybe there's some things you're tied to, connected to, that you're drawing life from. Maybe it's a cultural identity. Maybe it's like like a career identity. And you haven't yet found yourself go past that point of no return where, where Jesus becomes everything. He becomes truly that source of all life. Why don't you, right where you stand, just pray a prayer that says, Jesus, I want to make you king. I want to make you the source of my world. I want to make you the center of my everything. Holy Spirit, we just thank you. We welcome you. Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us this morning. Lord, even as we're worshiping, Lord, I pray for those of us who feel distant. Lord, we thank you for the promise of your word that we're already clean because of what you've done. We're already clean because of who you are, Jesus. And we thank you for it. And like right now, God, we come to you. Jesus, we come to you, that bread of life. We come to you, the light of the world. We come to you, the resurrection, the life, the way, the truth. Lord, we come to you, the good shepherd. And we choose to enter into salvation. We choose to enter into your presence. And this morning, we acknowledge you. Lord, we ask that you speak to us, Lord. We ask that you challenge us. We ask that you move us forward.